that walk, that walk, that walk. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling. This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Rock and Roll Live. I'm, I'm Eric Aguilar with my co-host. Doug Vincent. How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Just hoping the coffee will kick in, thinking about what my rest of the day is going to be, what I want to have for lunch, that sort of thing. Very good. Well, I do want to say that we um, got another situation this week. Uh, we had a guest lined up. We won't mention any names, um, but uh, that person uh, wasn't able to join us. So we've been talking about this for a little or thinking about this for a little while. And I think we're going to do it right, Eric. Right. We're going to we're going we're gonna to retell the Doug Vince, Vincent story to the best of our ability here in just a little bit. So so hang on for that. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you, too. Um First of all, you you said you got something coming up later this week, right? What, what was it? You texted me. Oh, got the safety powers on Zoom oh, this yeah. Friday. What's that? Tell us about that. Because here's what happened. I did some stuff with them on Zoom not too long ago. And during my introduction, the first thing that popped my head was a walk and roll live. And right on the spot, one of the girls that works for the organization became a fan right away. And she wants to meet with us on Friday morning on Zoom. And she wants to cl- um, the organization for us to collaborate together. So, what's the name of the organization again? Safety Powers. Safety Powers. Okay. So we're going to meet with them on Friday, right? Yes, sir. All right, I'm well, looking forward. All right. We'll see what that's all about. We'll we'll tell you how that went next week. And um, did you uh, have any other uh, friends and family that have been listening? Got any comments? I haven't gotten any responses lately, but we've been getting more and more downloads each week. I don't think it's because of me in particular. I think it's it's a matter that that people actually like the show. Yeah, I talked to my uh, my brother actually, and he um he was really involved. He lived in Sacramento for years and years and years, and they have a great program there for disabled sports and to the point where they have a um, what they call Freedom Field. It's a softball field that is wheelchair accessible. So the whole thing is covered with like a, a rubber mat and then it's painted. I don't know if it's painted or they just, it's infused in the color of the mat, but so you see a baseball field, you know, the infield is yellow. Then you have the Brown where the dirt would be. The outfield is, did I say yellow green? And you know, then the, that infield area where it's dirt, that's Brown. And then the outfield is green and you know, you got the bases and all that. And uh, they, they have a great place to play softball, wheelchair softball on in Sacramento. They had basketball. Uh, they had something called uh, power chair. What was that? It power chairs where it's like power soccer, where the kids play power or soccer in a wheelchair. And they have this big, huge ball and they, with their joysticks, drive their, their power chairs around and play soccer. Uh, so he was like a coach for that and coach for basketball. And so he was very involved in that, but through that program, you know, he met, kids and who have now gone on to be Olympians. Uh, One's a Paralympics, uh, made the Paralympics team that's coming up. So he's going to reach out to them and see if they wouldn't mind coming on, on uh, rock and roll live and 
and telling us uh, their story. So got that to look forward to. Cross your fingers for us. What are you, are oh, you checking? Wow. Are you checking your, your phone over there? What are you doing? Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm, 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 real, I'm real sorry, Doug. I got to level with you for a second, and I hate to do this on the, on the air. I'm actually in the middle of a class, and I notified my instructors beforehand that I was doing a taping with you, and they said, um, you, know, say, you know what, it's okay. Come back when you're ready. Wow. In addition to all your other talents, you're a multitasker. You can and take a class while you're doing the show. Our, uh, from our uh, guest speaker um, that um, she's like, oh, nuts, I completely forgot the show today. I was coughing all night. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. So, so we can put her down as a, a guest for later. Uh, yes, sir. I think All we right. should do that. We'll, we'll rotate her back in. All right. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see if I feel like letting her back in. Nah, I, I'm kidding. Oh, um, what the heck, Doug, man? You know, that, that brings up a, one other point and then we'll take a break and come back. Um, is that as I've been reaching out to people, I've had a couple of people say, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. And, and I don't know if this is the case necessarily, but it just kind of brought the thought to me was that I don't know if they're, if they're not comfortable telling their story. The other thing I was uh, thinking is that maybe they're just nervous. You know, they don't like speaking in public. And so they're just nervous to come on and, and tell their story. So I have to keep that in mind as I'm talking to people that they may be nervous about just doing this. You know, people are nervous about talking in public, which this is kind of a form of that, right? I would find this hard to believe in her case because for as long as I've known her, she's been a great journalist and I try so hard to bite my tongue and not say phrases like yellow journalism because in their world, that's bad language. <laughs> that's right. We don't allow that here. All right. Well, good to hear that, uh, that we'll be able to get her back. All right. So we uh, take a quick break and uh, then come right back with the Doug Vincent story. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back, folks. Um, don't touch that dial. Aguiar Professional Training offers comprehensive organizational development and organizational effectiveness services for corporations, nonprofits, educational institutions, and individuals. What they do is improve work environments in key areas, such as performance management gaps, group interactions, morale and trust building, and team dynamics, to name just a few. Using a strength-based approach in conjunction with individual or group coaching, all of the strategies have produced significant results. APT also assists with managing change, improving work processes, training, and management of human capital. Learn more at agarprofessionaltraining.com. A-G-U-I-A-R professionaltraining.com. Good morning, folks. I'm Eric Nicolai. I will be your pilot this morning in this special edition for Rock and Roll Live. Today, we're going to cover my partner, Doug Vance's backstory and where he came from. Hey, Doug. Well, how you doing? How you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. This is weird for me to kind of like turn over the controls, so I'm in your hands. Uh, first, if I may, um, I just wanted to tell a little bit of something. I I relaunched this, right? We, we relaunched this... Uh, What's it been about six weeks ago now? We've, I think we're into like the sixth episode. And um, and I mentioned a few times that I started this a few years ago. I started by telling my story. And then I interviewed my brother and, and a number of different people. And we had different things on it. And I, I think I did six to eight episodes. And it was somewhat sporadically. And then I just got to a point where I 
I thought, I'm, I don't want to do this. First of all, I don't, don't want to do this to the audience where it's, you know, whatever that may be, where it's kind of starts and stops and starts and stops. I, I didn't want to do it again until that we could do it on a consistent basis. First of all, you know, that's what all the experts say about if you want to have a, have a successful podcast, which I do, you know, I have, I, I have big visions and low expectations. Does that make any sense? I mean, I, I would love for it to take off and, and really build a community where everybody can share in this. Um, but if it doesn't, I'll be all right because I'm enjoying the process. I'm enjoying doing it. I'm enjoying doing it with you, all of that. So over the years through technical difficulties and all that, I'm not going to get into that. I'm certainly by no stretch a computer wizard. And so I lost the, I lost some of the recordings on the website and I have the actual recordings and I've had them all these years. I'm kind of a digital hoarder if I was, you know, to be totally truthful. And so I had all the other ones, but somehow I, I just never somehow got a copy, you know, held onto a copy of my story or lost it somehow and all the other transitions from computer to computer. Cause you know, over 10 or 11 years, you, you go from computer to computer. So I've been thinking in the back of my head that I've got to tell this story again, you know, and I hadn't, hadn't mentioned it to anybody, you know, it really, I need to do it again just so it's out there and there's the context of, you know, like when I started and all that. And, and then my daughter texts me and she says, dad, you need to tell your story. And I, I said, I know, I know. And she said, you know, you refer to your disability, but nobody knows what you're talking about. And so she's right. Why am I getting emotional? I don't know. Um, but anyway, I knew she was right. And, uh, well, we'll go on. We'll go on. I'll get it. I'll get it together here. Um, because it was kind of funny and I don't know why I'm so emotional now, but, but, um, I knew she was right. You know, and I texted her back and I said, stop making sense, <laughs> you know? So I knew at some point I had to do it. You know, we have to do it just for the, for the show. And, and so it has context and, and all of that. So, and I can't be the only one not telling my story. You know, when I'm asking everybody to tell their stories and get into their lives and the, you know, and then touching on some difficult things like we, we did with Judith and, you know, with yourself and, and, you know, I, I can't expect that of other people when, you know, I, I won't do it myself. And that's, you know, obviously that's, it, it touches me in ways, you know? So, um, all right. So having said that, I'm going to turn things back over to you and, you know, where do we start? Where, what would you like to know? Well, I've been thinking about this for quite a while, ever since we started doing the show, Doug. And for as long as we've been pals, I really don't know much about you, like your backstory or, where you came from or the nature of your disability, kind of how it, we were wondering about my story for a long, long time. Right. Well, you know how it is. Um, there's, there's, there's so many stories and, and no two are alike, you know, it's like we're snowflakes out here in, in, in a better connotation of the word, but, but every circumstances, even within the same, you know, either disease or injury, Everybody is so different, you know, and they have very specific needs. But um, so 
when I was uh, a year old, see, I was I was born in 55, 1955, long, long time ago. And I, uh, I, there was no polio vaccination, vaccination back then, but it came along around 1956, you know, and the historians can, you know, can check me, but, uh, but I was a year old. My brother uh, uh, was like two years and a month or two, something like that. And my, and I had an older sister as well. And as any parent will attest to when, you know, you get to know your child, you know, you spend every waking moment with them and you know, the ins and outs and ups and downs and everything of your child. Well, she put us to bed one night and literally this was like almost on my first birthday. And she, and, and little kids like that toddlers, you know, you come and get them in the morning and they're upside down sideways. The covers are everywhere, you know, we were where she put us the night before we hadn't moved. So she knew something was up, you know, and I'm sure there was other symptoms, fevers and things like that. So, uh, took us to the doctor and we were diagnosed with polio, which at that point we got quarantined. So, you know, and you'll, you'll hear some similarities to what we just went through here in the last you know few years, but we were quarantined and, you know, my parents couldn't, be with us you know they had to actually come. it was a small hospital in san luis obispo and um you know they had to come to the window and look in the window and and you know those were stories that i heard growing up and i verified that with my relatives you know that's the way it was they had to come and and look in the window and and that, that was two or three months you know before they could bring us home so that's that's kind of where it all started and i there, there's a part of this that I want to share. And I mean, it would, I think it would work here and it would work a little bit later, but I think I'll, I'll just say this very quickly as quickly as I can is that I just grew up, you know, knowing no different. Okay. Not until the age of computers did I, I started kind of doing some research, you know, about this thing, you know, and reading and, and all, and all that, um, and just kind of tried to educate myself because just because you have this, you know, the, the, the effects of this disease, because what it is, is a, you know, it's a neuro disease. Stop sending the messages to your muscles and then the muscles atrophy, I, you know, and that's, that's a distinction. I don't know. If most people understand is that, you know, you become paralyzed. The muscles are fine. It's just the, the nerves that, are giving the message to the muscle stop working. So they just atrophy and don't work. But uh, so, so I started reading and, and going on the internet. Well, I find this thing on the internet where it's showing the percentages basically you have the entire population out there and the percentage of people that might get polio and just runs it down. And so first of all, you've got the percentage of people that, that may have gotten polio, which was, a very small percentage, you know, you're talking two, three, 4% of the population and, and mostly kids. And, and then of that group, well, that group, yes. Okay. So well of that group, there's a, like a vast majority that might've just thought they had the flu, had those symptoms, never were even diagnosed that it was polio. And then you have a group that is diagnosed with polio, but never have any lasting effects from it. And then you have another, you know, and these percentages are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. 
And and then there's a group that has varying degrees of lasting effects. The worst case scenario, you know, people were in what was called an iron lung back at the time, which is modern day as a respirator. And, and even more severe than that, you know, people didn't survive it. And so I realized at that point that, because up until that point, I thought that everybody that got polio ended up with some degree of paralysis like I did. And, and which explained a lot of things for me because I grew up listening to stories like Wilma Rudolph. Do you know who Wilma Rudolph is? She was a track star back in, I don't know, 20s, 30s, something like that. And you would hear stories. She had polio when she was a kid. And I, as a kid, I'm thinking to myself, am I not working hard enough? You know, I, I, she overcame it. I haven't been able to, I can't go to the Olympics. You know, there's no way, uh, you know, so that, and that started to make sense to me. But I mean, and this had to be, I had to be in my thirties by this point when I'm getting all this information. I had never had a day in my life where I thought, you know, I wish this didn't happen to me. I just, I just lived my life. Right. And I was well into my career in radio. I was probably 10 years into my career in radio. Um, uh, I had a family by then, all those things. And, and not till then did it hit me. I like won the reverse lottery. There's a vast majority of these numbers where people got it. And so I, to be honest, I was in a funk for a couple of days. You know, I kind of got depressed a little bit and then I just, I let it go and I've never looked back since. So I just wanted to kind of give that context a little bit, but, um, so we got through that period. And, and another important thing that I, I always share is that two, a couple of things, but I just ended up with the right parents. You know, and this is where generally I get emotional, not that whatever happened before, but my parents treated us no differently. And that was from the advice, which is when you put it in the context of this being the 50s and, you know, where we've seen disability rights come all these years later. This is this is amazing. But this nurse took and my dad tells the story that he took him aside and she said to him, you know, don't do for these kids, you know, let them do, you know, as much as they possibly can. And that's the way they raised us. And, you know, stories like where we would go out, say, go out uh, in public, you know, and, and got their little family out. And there's a couple of kids on crutches. And, you know, I, by then I'm like two years old and walking on crutches. And, and if I fell, they wouldn't help me up. So. So here's this two-year-old kid crying, help me, help me. And my mom, mom and dad have the courage in the face of other people standing around, like, why don't you hold your child? I'm sure they're thinking, you monster, why don't you hold your child? And they have the courage and the strength to do the right thing and let us get up on our own. You know, and that not until you have a child, years later, do you realize how really difficult that must have been. So, yeah. Mm. So then that's what I carry through my life. You know, we, we went to me and my brother. Um, we went to a school in Santa Barbara that was for disabled kids until uh, we were in fourth grade. 
And then in the fifth grade, I know this was a, a decision that, you know, my folks made with our doctors and, you know, were they going to mainstream us? I don't even know if they use those terms back then. I don't know, you know, what, what the whole you know, disabled community, what, what was in place there. But I, I knew it seemed like the doctor had to sign off it. That's all I know it, you know, in that age. So we're going on. Well, my brother went the year before. So when I came, he had already kind of broke that ground. And, and, and that's another key point, you know, that I didn't realize until later that, and this is through, you know, experiencing and hearing other people's stories of people that are dis- that have disabilities. What a blessing I had to have somebody in my family who was like me. You know, I kind of compare it to twins and that bond that twins have. You know, they kind of have their own little bond that's different than they might have with, you know, other siblings or, or whatever. I mean, you know, you can speak to this, you know, how different it might've been in your life. If you had somebody that had your exact same ailment as a brother, can you imagine her sister? Right. Now that you mentioned it, Doug, I had two brothers that have cerebral palsy, just like I did, but their stages were a little different than mine. And the way they dealt with their hardships were, all different from the from each other. Like uh, it was pretty funny that you know, even though I was the older brother out of all the brothers, in a sense, they kind of treated me like I was the younger brother, which yeah. was got complete opposite. And uh, com- and uh, and um, a little different from your parents. Um, I was completely sheltered and you know didn't have any luxury of you know figuring out things on my own or anything like that or. As I get older, I kind of got curious about my own disability. Like, okay, what is this? Where did it come from? What did yeah. it do? Yeah. How can I cope with it? And and learning, did that help you? It helped me a lot through my adult years, but as a child, though, it felt like a big mystery to me. Yeah. Like something yeah. was mi- like something was missing. And then and learning, was- did it help fill that? It kind of solve it- a bit of the mystery for you. It felt, it felt most of the gas, but what it didn't uh, help me with for sure is how exactly how I got it because my backstory seemed a little skeptic, and this was back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I never got a full answer of how exactly how I got it. Gotcha. They were just bits and pieces of the story. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and for us, too, you know, we have no idea where we, we got it. I mean, it was very easily transmitted in, in, the, in the research that I've done and the books that I've read. You know, you could go to the store and pick up an apple to look at it, you know, say that somebody had touched before you and and it was spread very easily that way. And um, so we have no idea, you know, where where it got picked up. So and it was always it was always in the summertime when it was worst, you know, when they had uh, when they had transmission of it and there would be epidemics. During the summertime, where you know, back in those days, it was it was frightening because, like I say, it was kids. It used to be called infantile paralysis, you know, and its, it's scientific name is poliomyelitis. But it it would it, it would scare people so much that people would hole up in their homes and wouldn't come out, and and health workers had to come and you know coax those people out of their homes because. You know, they were isolating to the point where, you know, they didn't maybe have enough food. They were 
isolating that long, you know? So in that dynamic is different than again, what we just went through where we were being forced to isolate the, the, the real fear of the disease back in the forties and fifties was that you, you were so fearful, you know, parents especially were so fearful of their children getting it that they isolated themselves and people had to come and, you know, get them out. So they would make sure they had all the proper, you know, nourishment and all those other things that, that isolation might've kept them from. So, so, and that's a good point that you make, um, is that, you know, even though you had siblings that had similar things, again, everybody's different. Everybody's their own, your own personal character might be different or how you deal with things. And just because you have people, I'm not saying that that's a blanket. If you had somebody in the home, it's a great thing. It worked out great for me. And, and so here I am, like I say, born in 55, I'm old. I'm, you know, I was around when dirt was clean and uh, they, you never know. Everybody's journey is different. How they're going to react is different. And I'm, I'm still learning that after all these years, you know, again, goes back to why I enjoy doing this is we learn from other people's experiences as, uh, as they tell these stories. So where, where we go from here? I was just thinking right back there when you were talking about the gal who was attracted with the same nature of disability as you, I was thinking about how I know a gal that has um, cerebral palsy just like I do, and yet she has mountains of muscle galore. <laughs> and, and I laugh about this a lot in the back of my mind. I'll joke aside. I'm like, I look at, you know, when she's a conference through a disability, muscle or no muscle, and I'm like, geez, I'm a wimp. I'm a total wimp, <laughs> But, you know, you, you have to remember, you know, you can't judge yourself by anybody. You know, disability or not or whatever, you know, you're you're traveling your own path and you just have to, you know, make the most of it, hopefully, and 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 hopefully continue to learn along the way. That's what I've always tried to do. You know, I, I can't say I achieve it all the time, uh, but I, you know, I try to do that all along the way. So, you know, we transition into into uh, school and. You know, as far as I was concerned, that went fairly well. There's the curiosity, of course, as you're growing up. But, you know, I made friends and, you know, the, I had great friends and, and just people that were around me that, like, there was no such thing as adaptive sports back then, that kind of thing, right? So we played flag football. So my friends, you know, as we went out and played flag football, we kind of did our own adaptation of the game so that I could get involved in the game. So, so what we would do is we came up with, you know, like I could go out for a pass. Now this is back when I was on crutches, you know, I've, like I, I think I've talked about here, I've evolved into being in the chair full time, but, but, you know, I would run out, you know, what I called running and I would run out and they would throw a pass to me and I would just reach up my crutch. And if I hit the ball, I didn't have to catch it, but if I could just make contact with the ball, uh, that was, I had the, I had the uh, ball, you know, and everybody was uh, on board with that. And then I would start running, you know, and then they, you know, it would take them no time to like gather around me and start pulling on my flags and, and, but, but I was able to get out there and play the game. And it was interesting to me. And then also in just the basic things that you had to do uh, for, 
for gym class, you know, we, we did all those things like you'd run and you'd climb the rope. Have you ever seen the rope and you climb the rope and, and you do, uh, uh, what do they call them? Not, well, there was pull-ups and then there's on the parallel bars where you de- do, God, it's been so long ago. I forget what they call them. Uh, like dips on the parallel bars and, uh, all those things. So I did all the things that I could and, and, you know, so we adapted that way. But it, it always it, well, it surprised me as time went by and I started getting involved and in, in volunteering in my adult life that we we're still kind of having to have this conversation. You know, when, when we had done on our own, really, it felt like so much back in the this was the 60s. Um, and it's, it's sad me a little bit that we're still having some of these same conversations about inclusiveness and, you know, in, in the special needs part of education, you know, so, but it is what it is, you know, and we, and we keep working at it. One of the crazy things I remember about football as a kid is I had a brother who had the same type of disability as me, but yeah, he was much more taller and more heavy set compared to me. I would actually hold the ball. He would actually pick me up and carry me all the way down to the end zone, send me down and then slam the football right <laughs> to the ground going. <laughs> and it was his, his end zone celebration. You were part of that, right? <laughs> Somewhat. Yeah. And, and my, my, my brother was very athletic. You know, uh, he, he, he liked the stick of ball sports. I was more of a motorsports kind of a guy. And I got into that and got had a go-kart and all that stuff. And, he was more of a stick and ball kind of guy. And, and so he would play basketball, football, all those things. And they took ad- adaptation to the next level, you know, they, and they were playing every day, different games. And, uh, you know, he played basketball. My, my brother also on crutches, well, he would play basketball and he could get around with one crutch and they devised a point system where it was three to one. So every one of his points was three points and his buddy that he played with one-on-one was one point and it was the right combination. So when they would play competitively and they'd be out there playing hard and, and the, the points would just about match. So they'd have close games every time. So, you know, you just, you got to let kids go and they'll, they'll figure it out. So another pro and con yeah. about me playing football is that although I'm not a very good catcher, I sure as heck had a good arm. <laughs> well, I think that's why, that's why I, didn't levitate towards that. You know, I tried a few times, but I realized, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a good catcher and I'm not a good thrower. So, so, you know, you go through school and, and, and then the next kind of thing was as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, you know, I'm going to graduate from high school. Uh, my brother went to college. Do I go to college? academics aren't really my thing, you know, but I gave it a shot and went to the local uh, community college uh, and took some classes. I I took electronics and and so that was kind of an interest of mine. And, and, and then I'm, I'm working at the time. And I think maybe that's probably why I took those classes because I got out of high school and I was working in electric electronic places that were making different electronic type gear, you know, and so I was kind of thinking of that as a path because now I'm, like I say, I'm a, a teenager, adulthood staring me in the, in the face and I got to figure out, you know, what am I going to do for a living? There's a whole host of things that I'm not going to be able to do just because I'm not physically able to do. So now I have to pick from the things that I can do, you know, and 
when I when I reached puberty, my voice changed, and I everywhere I went, people were like, "God, you got a great voice. You got to be in radio." Blah, blah, blah. And I never really gave it much credence. You know what I mean? I I thought these aren't radio people; they're just people I know. Would be the you know family members and friends and that kind of thing. And so when I was working at a place in Santa Barbara that built radio gear, you know, all the telemetry stuff that that uh, is behind the scenes at radio stations, I met a fellow that worked there and his dad was the vice president of engineering for this company. And he dealt with engineers at radio stations all the time. And, and he where it never really entered my mind in reality, but for this buddy that I met, he went to college and he went to the point of having his own radio station out of his dorm room. You know, he built a little transmitter and, and, and it was like very low wattage, 10, 10 watts or something like that. It didn't get much further than the dorm area. Right. Uh, and he would do a little radio show every evening, you know, all requests radio people would call in and, and make requests while they were doing their homework at night, that kind of thing. So he'd always wanted to be in radio. So he says, my dad talks to the engineers and there's this broadcast workshop in Hollywood that, you know, that we could, we should go check it out. Now, let me back up just a touch. I was the kind of guy in school, like, like most people are, you know, they're afraid of, of speaking in public. Right. So to the point where, I could I could be prepared for an oral report, and when it came down to you know my turn in class, there was a couple of times when I just said, "I can't do it," you know, in my mind, and I just said, "No, I'm not ready." To the teacher, and I would take an F. There were times when I took an F. I was ready, you know, I had prepared for the talk, but I just couldn't get myself up to go do it. That's how uh, afraid I was. So now I'm. You you want me to go to this place and check out this? broadcast school and do an audition and all that. I'm like, you must be crazy. But I said, yes. And we did it. And we went and, and the, the audition kind of consisted of listening to a guy, a guy do an orientation for an hour or so. And then you went in and you read a, a commercial, a sports story, a weather forecast or something. You just read this stuff. And then they evaluated it to see if they were going to accept you into the into the broadcast workshop, which, you know, at the time I'm like, God, I wonder if we're going to get in, you know? And, and, and I will say that's when I knew this is what I wanted to do. I didn't know it until that night. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, I'm certainly going to give it a try. Right. So we find out that, that uh, we had gotten in and, and, then, and now in hindsight, even back then in hindsight, after we were accepted and we're at the workshop and all that, and me and my buddy both got in, I realized, realized that was a sales technique because they would say things like, you know, if you get into the workshop, you know, you probably could already start radio. They would tell us crap like that. Basically, if you had the tuition, you got into the, the workshop. So got in, went through all the workshop and then went and, and, uh, and moved to the Central Coast, found a job and and started my career. And uh, this this kind of brings me to a point where I, I, I have no idea, but it's something I, I want to explore with some of our other guests is 
maybe I, maybe I was naive, you know, the way I was risen. Sorry about that. The way I was raised, I, um, I, I, I guess you just have this confidence that, you know, you go out and, you know, you apply for things or do what you're going to do. And the thought never entered my mind that they're not going to take me seriously, or they're going to say, I can't do this because I'm disabled. Even if they don't say it, they're going to, I'm going to be denied. You know, if I ever didn't get a job, because up to this point, I had had several jobs and, and I mean, there were jobs I applied for and didn't get, there were jobs I applied for and got, I, I have no idea if, the ones I didn't get, and they it never even entered my mind, you know, that did I not get those jobs because they saw, looked at me and thought maybe I couldn't do them. I, I have no idea. Never even gave it any thought, really. One of the crazy things about me being in high school growing up is that in their eyes, I was one of the coolest kids around, although I didn't really think so. And a lot of people never really asked me about my disability. They just saw me as this, as this, as this guy with a really cool walk and when I started uh, public speaking, I started doing it for community centers as an MC for talent shows. And the boss I was working for, she really didn't know me too well back then. And so that kind of made her nervous. Like, oh boy, what did I put this kid? <laughs> kid what did I put? The, what, what, how did I put this kid get kid up here? Yeah. And everybody's surprised. You know, I started you know telling jokes. I just be myself. The crowd was loving me and cheering me. And then I went on to doing talk shows for. Um, the community center called Teen Forum. We pick a topic um, each month and then we'd have like a panel and then we'd all give our opinions, you know, based on the questions and topic. And I kind of went from being one of the talkers on the panel to being host to leaving for a time and then coming back as a guest speaker and actually returning to the show on and off. And as far as applying for jobs, I never really applied for jobs much. People just actually you know, found me and say, Hey, we, we want, we want to have you on our team. Come work with us. Yeah. And I said, See, All right. That's awesome. Since you were one of those kids that were just comfortable with it. Oh yeah. Right. And I was at the other end of the spectrum. That That's awesome. And I think once you get going, and I, I, this probably pertains to a lot of careers, but um, like after I got in radio, I never, I never really applied for a job again because you know, I worked at a place and once people heard me, I, you know, people started recruiting me, you know, and, you know, you work with people and then they go off to another station and, and then they contact you and say, you know, Hey, we went here and we're looking for somebody that I think you would fit in good here. So you get the job based on that referral, not so much, you know, like an applic cold call, application yeah so so that took me some time to overcome so once i get into radio uh you know talking in a room by yourself is one thing you know but part of radio is you got to go out and do public appearances now a guy that couldn't get up in front of a class of people that he knows it's a comfortable situation now i'm going to get up in front of total strangers so it started off that i just i just started saying yes when people asked me to do things the very very first thing that i ever did was a friend of mine, his dad was a teacher of, of folk dances. So they were having this big Greek festival, folk dance festival in Santa Barbara at the park. And he said, hey, you know, they find out I'm going into radio. Hey, can you come out and do some announcements for us? You know, like raffle prizes and just different things like that. And I said, yes, knowing that I was going to be terrified of doing it and, and, uh, and, you know, they probably asked me two or three months before the event, 
And I just stressed the whole time, you know, like dying when that day happens, you know, it probably threw up or something, but you know, I got through that and just slowly, but surely you just kind of overcome that fear and you know, you, you, you get more comfortable with it and you realize that, you know, you're doing something that, that other me, like my former self, you know, would rather die than do a lot of times. So uh, now I'm, you know, of course, totally comfortable with it. And, and so that, uh, you know, and it, over the course of, you know, my life, I had, I had been through surgeries and all that along the way. It wasn't like, it was just, you know, this, it, it wasn't, it was my life, but I, and I, and I don't look, look at it while I was going through it. This is a, a tough life, but sometimes I, I underestimate, you know, what all that, you know, everything I went through, how it kind of formed me, you know? And, and so that's pretty much it. You know, you go through the career, uh, you know, and let me say this though, it kind of to the point I was saying before, um, I had some people approach me about going and volunteering at Rolling Start. And I was kind of, cause I, I really wasn't involved. I had, I had been involved in, in March of Dimes and some other things, but the actual real disabled community I had been. So when he told me about what they do and I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. So I got involved, but at the same time, I remember saying that, I can't believe we're still having this struggle. You know, I, I just figured this conversation was, was fairly resolved, you know, uh, but, it, and, and I, when I stop and think about it though, I, I, I understand that there were things that I had overlooked or just dismissed and, and it probably spoke to the work that still needs to be done, you know, um, and still does, you know, and that is the, the way people talk to people with disabilities and many times it's well-intentioned. It's not, it's, I don't think it's coming from any kind of um, negative place. I, I think they think they're being kind. And I think we've talked a, a little bit about it here with some different people, but but, you know, talking, you go to have dinner at a restaurant, you know, and you're in a wheelchair and they, they will turn to your companion that you're with. So what does he want for dinner? It's like, wow, that person needs a little education, you know, and I don't, I'm not too harsh on them, but there, there've been a couple of people I've straightened out, you know. I haven't, that really happened to me yet, but when I take my fiance to lunch uh, and we order, I'd be like, go ahead, sweetheart, order anything you want. It's on me. Very nice. You are a gentleman. You are a gentleman. You know, and I, I certainly see, you know, going back to where you're talking about your experience there with the, um, was it, a, was it a, like the club that you were, the MC of and all that? What was that? Where was it in campus live or how, how did that work? Oh, the Redlands Community Center. Yeah. Back in the olden days when I was 19, I started MCing. The talent show was one of their greatest fundraisers for the community center. And we would like charge at uh, three bucks admission for uh, tickets. We saw some snacks. You know, people got hungry during the show. And all the money that they earned would be brought right back into the community center. Gotcha. Plus, I owe a lot to the community center because the community center, you know, kind of gave me my head start with my career yeah. when I was 19. Because when I was 19 and only a year out of high school, 
I didn't know what I wanted to do, man. <laughs> right. You know, and that's, I feel blessed because that was probably 20 to 21 when this happened for me, you know, and, uh, and, and for many years, I, I I can't say I felt really guilty, but I, I, I felt for people that didn't know what they were going to do or even got into a career that they weren't really happy with. I felt so blessed. I, I, I wasn't one of those guys that, you know, God, I can't wait for Friday or, Oh God, it's Sunday, Monday. Got to go back to work tomorrow. You know, I loved what I did and I always did all these years. I mean, that's why I'm doing this in retirement because I love doing this. And, you know, I, and this kind of keeps that part of it alive. The nice thing is, is I'm doing it with a buddy. There's no rules or no boss going to come through the door and say, you know, why did you do that? Why did you say that? What did you, what are you doing? Uh, every selection I make is, you know, whether it's music or, you know, the topics we talk about or who we talk about, you know, it's all, it's all us, right? I don't have anybody right. hanging over it. So I really, really enjoy it. So that's kind of why I'm still doing it. But, you know, I, I obviously saw that in you. That's why I asked you to do this. But I, it doesn't surprise me a bit that you, you know, had that experience back when you were younger and, and, and you were the star, you know, God, I, I just I kicked myself that it took me so long to, to, I mean, I recognized, you know, your personality and all that, but I, I kicked myself that it took me so long to say, God, he would have been a great fit here. We could have been six months into this thing by now, you know, if I thought about know, it earlier. But blessings reveal themselves in their own time, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like you're solving, you're solving, you're solving a puzzle, but you're doing it on your own time, you know, not the time you wanted to actually do it. And, I kind of, you know, I have, I, I have a lot of fun doing this because it takes me back to my talent show and talk show days. Like here I am so many years later, you know, telling my story, listening to other people's stories. And in a way, you know, I feel free. I have, you know, I mean, I want to keep this as a hobby and a fun thing to do and not really turn it into work. Exactly. And I, feel, and I feel thankful that I have a part, that I had a part in helping you, you know, revitalize the show. I just want it to go on for, you know, generations to come. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I definitely want to, I don't want it to become a job where we feel like we have to do it. And in every guest that we have, that's what kind of refreshes me is that, you know, we get to hear a new story, a different perspective. I'm learning, you know, I'm learning just by telling my story, you know, it, it, you know what I'm saying? I'm, Cause I see the interaction that we're having and, and I say something, you share something, about that same experience and you've experienced it in a different way in your life. So I see another perspective. I kind of take that in and, and reevaluate, you know, what my perspective was through when I lived that part of my story. So yeah, it's, I'm learning things as we go along here, you know. And what's crazy about the show is that when word got out that I was coach of the show, everybody's like, OMG, it's Eric. He's back. <laughs> well, that explains something. Yeah, like I think I mentioned to you here in the last couple of days, you know, as I look at the analytics for, you know, where the show is coming from and, and which episodes are being listened to, listened to. And the Eric Aguilar show is the, is the one that's got the, the most uh, downloads. So you're the man. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm only one of the man. <laughs> so anything else that uh, you're curious about? And one thing I'm always I'm always thinking about in the back of my mind too is that every day that I don't have to be exact like the other or have the same backstory. 
I mean, even now I realize, hey, just be yourself, you know? That's it. That's it. You know, and that's what I learned. You know, just just be yourself. You know, that's one of those things that, you know, like, like in, in my radio career when I started, no idea what I was doing. I, I was horrible. A few things that I learned that just kind of coming back to me. Over the course of my career, you know, I had the privilege of, you know, being a program director, which is the boss over the air talent at a radio station. And there were there were people that, you know, especially where I started, that's where a lot of people start. So you're not hearing the great radio that you might hear in a large market like L.A. or, you know, you're not you're not hearing things like that. You're hearing the people that are learning and they're just they're discovering and finding their own voice. And, and, and I did that for eight years before I came to a bigger market and, and people will, you know, why can't they sound like you? I, I had bosses telling me that, well, first of all, you know, I've been doing this for years. They're just starting out. And if you want a whole staff of people like that, you have to pay experienced people. You, you don't want to pay that. So this is what you get, first of all, but I always saw the potential in those people, because I knew if I could do it, I sucked when I started. Now, and, and let me give you this. And I tell this story all the time too. Um, the very first night I was on the air, little station in Santa Maria. I grew up in Santa Barbara. So I'm starting at a little station in Santa Maria and I'm, I'm in the overnight slot, you know, like midnight to six, I think Saturday night, midnight to six o'clock. Sunday morning. And then my brother and his friend, they get in the car in Santa Barbara, you know, they can be within listening distance of the station within an hour or so. So they drive up um, and get close enough and they're listening. And they, and my, my brother looks at his friend, he says, you know, so this is like one or two in the morning, right? They've driven up to listen to me. And my brother turns to my, to his friend, he says, let's go get something to eat. And when we come back, maybe it'll be better. <laughs> and I, I did that for three, maybe four days because I came into town, went on the air, never saw the program director. I was hired over the phone. And so I did that Sunday morning, Monday morning. And then Monday, you know, is, is another business day. So I go in and I meet this guy for the first time. And he's like, he basically tells me the same thing. He's like, you suck. And <laughs> <laughs> and he says, and he said, I can't have this on my radio station because it was like dead air. And I mean, not just what I was saying; it was just the the, the actual mechanics of the whole show, just horrible. And um, and I, you know, I could get into all of that, but um, so it kind of it kind of made me mad, you know. So so basically, he said, "All right, go on tonight. If you're not any better, you know, I got to let you go." So it kind of you know, here I am, my very first, my very first time on the air in a real radio station, you know, in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, basically. You know, I, I could look it up today. I, I don't know what it is today, but the entire county of, of Santa Barbara County couldn't have had more than a, well, especially that little corner of it, couldn't have had more than a few hundred, I can't even say a few hundred thousand. No, it's probably, so we're like 20 or 30,000 people in the whole area, the listening area of that station, you know, and how many are going to be up at one in the morning? I, I would do contests. Get this. 
I would do contests where you like take dollar number four for whatever tickets to something they were giving away and nobody would call. So that pretty much told me at that moment, probably nobody was listening because I've never done a contest other than, you know, that, that time where nobody called in, you know? So I imagine I was literally talking to myself. And, and so I got upset when the guy's like, you know, that's it. You know, you don't sound good tonight. You're out. So I kind of just kind of, threw the shackles off if you will i just i just kind of went in there with abandon you know the hell i got to lose you know just be me and and i was happy with my performance at where i was and under that kind of pressure i left thinking whatever however the chips fall but it worked out great it really worked out great see let me go and i was there and i went to san luis obispo to visit some relatives i hadn't been able to visit in a while and i had an aunt and uncle that owned a motorcycle dealership and they they said hey the radio station manager he's he's our rep you know for buying advertising and i happened to have one audition tape so i gave it to him and he gave it to them they called the program director called me and said i need a weekender so i went in started weekends there went all the way to program director within four years and then left there and went to another place that's a whole other story but so, yeah, and it just kind of went on from there. It just worked hard. And, and the one other thing before I, I, I um, is that having overcome that fear of speaking in public, it, it has other, I mean, I'm so proud that I was able to do that, but it has other, it's like a ripple effect. You know, it helps you know that you can do that. If you can do that one, get over a fear. The next fear that you have to get over is a little bit easier, you know, because you've got a success under your belt. And whenever I, especially when I would speak to kids in school on like a career day, I would always make sure to point that out, you know, that, that anything that you're afraid of, if you can overcome it, it just has those other, you know, other uh, aspects to it too, where you could take that win and, and turn it into other wins. So one of the funny things is that when people tell me, I suck, I could take it one or two ways. I could take, I could laugh and just keep on going or I could put up my eyebrow and say, Oh, I suck. And you'd give it like, Oh, you can do, do any better. <laughs> or, or I'd be like, yeah, like any of your schemes ever worked. And then they would just walk away like whatever, dude. And then I bust up laughing. And I'm like, yeah, same to you, dude. <laughs> you gotta have a little chip on your shoulder, right? To motivate you. That's it. So, and then, you know, uh, years and years in radio and, and, uh, retired. And now this is what I'm doing. The glorious podcast with my, my buddy. I'm having fun doing this. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'll personally ever retire, maybe be semi-retired perhaps, but not fully retire. Yeah. Well, that's me, you know, cause I do voiceover and do other things and, uh, been doing this, you know? So I just, uh, you talk about an itch to scratch. You know, just that, that whole creative part of this is what what I need to do. You know, I can't not do it. All right, so oh, are we yeah. winding up. What are we doing there, host? Well, folks, um, you've, heard, you've heard it here, the backstory of my good friend Doug Benson from Rock and Roll Lab. I hope you've enjoyed this special edition. I'm Eric Igler, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. See you next week, folks. If I could be you. And you could be me. 
for just one hour. If you could find a way to get inside each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Welcome back, folks. I'm Eric Giglow with my partner here, Jack Vincent. All right. Uh, let's uh, look and see anything coming up that you want to talk about. You, uh, you're still doing your disaster preparedness. Next one is June 18th. So that's pretty close, right? Oh, yeah. Close and we've got a pizza pie. And we got word that um, even if you're not a member of Possibilities, You'll, you're able to take the class, but you got to sign up first. So just go to the our website, walkandrolllive.com, and you can uh, find a link there on our events page, and that will get you, um, you know, to the place where you need to sign up. And there's two other ones after that, August 17th and November 16th. Uh, Rolling Start is having their first annual A Taste of Independence on August 17th. That's going to be at the Orton Hall at the University of Redlands. Save the date at this point, more information to follow. Um, and I think that's uh, really it. Also, I do want to say uh, we're coming to you live from the, well, we're alive, not live, right now, <laughs> of the Aguiar Professional Training Studio for Eric uh, Aguilar and Doug Vincent are here. So is that it for this week? All right. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us at this edition of Walk and Roll Live with my partner, Doug Vincent. I'm Eric Aguilar. Keep on rolling, and that's the way a cookie crumbles. We'll see you next week, folks. Ah, darn, I thought you were going to let me say that. (laughs) See you next week. Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.